Welcome to the Rejected Religion Podcast. I'm Stephanie Shea. My guest this month is Ralph Techmeyer, otherwise known as Frater UD, who was so kind to join me to continue the discussion about chaos magic. If you recall, I talked with Dr. Christian Greer in episode 19, in the first part of this topic, where we focused on ethic or academic views regarding chaos magic. In other words, an outsider perspective. In part two, Ralph gives us an insider look into how he views magic, chaos magic, magical practice, and much more. Ralph Tetmeyer is a writer, poet, and magician. He grew up in Africa and Asia as the child of a German diplomat and holds a master's in comparative literature, English literature, and Portuguese studies from the University of Bonn. He has many years of experience as a translator and interpreter and is author of more than 40 books, including High Magic, Practical Sigil Magic, and recently, Living Magic, Contemporary Insights and Experiences from Practicing Magicians. He's translated works by Peter Carroll and Alistair Crowley, among others, and his own works have been translated into multiple languages. Ralph is co-founder of the Bonn Workshop for Experimental Magic, as well as co-founder of the IOT, or the Illuminati of Tanateros, an international magical organization that focuses on the practice of chaos magic. He has been involved in occultism in general, and magic in particular, for more than 50 years. In this interview, Ralph shares his own perspectives on many of the topics that Christian and I had discussed in episode 19. He shares his own background in occultism, the state of things in Germany in the 1970s and 80s, as well as the change in perspective with the introduction of the Anglo or British perspective about occultism and chaos magic. He also talks about his viewpoints about the concepts of gnosis and shamanism as they relate to chaos magic, how he feels about rationalist thinkers such as Theodore Adorno, and highlights some of his own works. As I was editing the interview, I felt that Ralph gave a very interesting overview of how he, as a practitioner, thinks about magic and how magic works for people who practice it. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Ralph. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk with me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It was my pleasure. I'm very happy uh, to have uh, made contact with you and that you agreed to share your uh, your perspectives and your ideas uh, with me today. Um, as the listeners might remember, uh, in part one of this topic, Dr. Christian Greer and I talked about chaos magic from an ethic perspective. And today, I'd like to continue the discussion, but place the focus on an insider look, as it were, or an emic perspective. Uh, so I'd like to use the first part that I did with Christian as an inspiration for the questions I'll be asking you today, Ralph. Fine. Great. So I'd like to start by asking, uh, how would you explain what magic is in general and what chaos magic is specifically to someone who has no idea what these concepts mean? 
Well, uh, it's as you're probably aware, this a fairly loaded question because <laughs> yes. uh, uh, the question of how to define magic has been going on for ages. And uh, you ask eleven experts, you'll get about uh, a full dozen or baker's mm. dozen of uh, opinions and <laughs> definitions. Uh, one of the standard uh, definitions is that magic is the art and science of uh, causing changes in the world by usually about changes in your conscience, consciousness or, uh, well, states of consciousness or whatever. Uh, personally, I define magic these days as doing the impossible. But uh, in terms of chaos magic, uh, it actually aligns with a more conventional uh, definition, only that it adds a probabilistic uh, aspect to it. For So magic would be the art and maybe science of uh, causing changes in the world, uh, but uh, in form of uh, bending the arm of chance. So there's a probabilistic element to it in the sense that, uh, let's, let's say uh, you want to do something that is, uh, well, very unlikely to ever happen like a meteorite striking on your desk in the, within the next five minutes. Uh, God or whoever forbid. Uh, so if the chances of that actually happening are one to 50 trillions and you can do a very, very powerful spell, uh, enhancing your chances of one to, to one to 10 trillion are still very unlikely to happen. So, uh, so that's the uh, one of the major, major, you might say, signature aspects of chaos magic. That uh, bending the arm of chance means that in a probabilistic universe, where uh, basically anything can happen uh, in a binary concept, uh, to the left, to the right, to zero, to one, to good, to bad, or whatever, uh, in any given moment, uh, the, the trick is actually to uh, to actually cause the a fairly good probability to actually come to pass rather than than waste your time on doing stuff that uh, that is uh, very improbable uh, and uh, won't 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 ever happen by any chance so uh, that's that's a fairly uh, novel approach to uh, to well modern or modern western magic which is uh, basically very typical of chaos magic. I see. Uh, I find all this very interesting because, of course, normally I'm, I'm focusing mo more on the academic side of, uh, of, of you know, the discussion. So I'm very, very interested to hear your own uh, personal uh, viewpoints on this as a practitioner. Uh, that's a very different uh, uh, perspective that I uh, was open to, and I'm glad that you were open to as well to share your ideas about uh, about magic. Uh, Christian uh, from the first interview also had some questions for you, uh, and I am also very curious to know uh, the first being, and this I guess we could get into a little bit more of a, a background uh, of yourself. Uh, what were the state of things with regard to magic in Germany in the late 1970s and 80s? Well, there was a, a still living tr tradition of uh, German occultism ranging back to the, uh, well, 1920s and even before that. 
as uh, typified by by people or okay he wasn't german but but he was actually uh active in germany for quite a while uh by franz bardon and uh, and franz hartmann of course who was german and you know the oto and uh, pansofia uh, tradition was uh, i wouldn't say alive still alive and kicking but there were still quite a few practitioners around what happened in the 1970s uh well, actually, towards the mid and end 1970s, is that a stronger Anglo-Saxon or mainly British, actually, uh, influence uh, was introduced into German magic, meaning uh, Golden Dawn tradition mainly, as uh, typified again, even Elsa Crowley, as, as typified well by the likes of Israel Rigardi, Elsa Crowley, William Gray, Diane Fortune, and, on, and so on. Uh, these uh, authors uh, were beginning to be read in Germany in a, on a larger scale. Plus, there was a generation change as well, uh, which I was part of at the time, uh, by uh, mainly by people who were of a more academic bent, maybe, or uh, who were at least multilingual, because lots of Germans before the uh, end of the war uh, were basically just monolingual and uh, didn't really read uh, foreign languages very well and if so it was usually French and not English so the English influences were rather limited and uh, uh, this changed uh, changed in the 70s and uh, from then on uh, we received impulses in Germany which I would call pragmatic in the sense that they were not as dogmatically uh, restricted as a lot of German occultism was until that point and uh, so, so things became more open, as they did in general in society, like, uh, you know, open borders and, and uh, you know, European community and, and a lot of uh, cross-cultural exchange, which uh, wasn't really typical for pre-war and even post-war Germany uh, until, you might say, the late 60s. Uh, and uh, magic is, of course, always a was reflecting what's going on in society contemporarily and uh, the 70s and 80s were no exception. If, if you can recall, uh, what year uh, did, did you become involved in the Anglo tradition of chaos magic? Uh, that was around 1978, 1979. Okay. Um, when I, I mean, I'd been involved in occultism and, and uh, stuff like that for ages, sort of, the tender age of nine. But, uh, but uh, specifically uh, magic and specifically uh, Anglo-Saxon or English, uh, or it's, I'd say, Brit-biased uh, magic, uh, that really happened uh, towards the end of the 70s in my, my particular case. I uh, set up an occult bookshop in Bonn uh, in uh, 1979 and in the course of this bookshop, we also set up a, a private, let's say, a working group, a workshop for uh, experimental magic. This was basically bookshop clients and uh, friends who were involved in magic and who decided to come together and uh, and explore experimental magic. And that was, uh, you might say, 99% biased towards the uh, the English or uh, Anglo-Saxon pragmatic approach. Did you notice that it was a, a popular uh, idea that that had been introduced? 
with within German uh, per, uh, opinion? Uh, only within the uh, younger generation. Mm. People like myself. I mean, I, I wasn't a spring chicken at the time anymore. I was in, in my in twenties, but uh, the older generation. I mean, people you know from forty and older. Uh, were usually uh, either a bit surprised about this or um, quite a few of them were actually, actually didn't like it particularly. I mean, they would stick to their dogmatic uh, German occult uh, traditions uh, quite a lot. And uh, uh, so it was, a, in a mild way, it was a kind of generation conflict as well. I see. The third uh, part of the question is, uh, how international was the fanzine Chaos International with regard to its reach in Europe? Were there a lot of people reading and contributing to this fanzine from uh, other European countries uh, amongst uh, Germany? Well, you find a lot. Uh, I don't think that uh, Chaos International ever had more than, let's say, a thousand copies. Mm. Uh, printed maybe two thousand, but I'm not sure about that. You'd have to ask the then time editor. But yes, it was quite widely distributed within the chaos magic scene. At least I'm, I, I can vouch for that. I'm not sure how uh, how the more general magical public uh, actually received it. Uh, but yes, it was quite international in the sense that the IoT, uh, whose organ it was, unofficial organ it actually was. Uh, was quite international as well. So this spread in, in terms of German-speaking uh, countries. It spread across Germany, uh, Switzerland, and Austria quite a lot. Uh, but there was also, uh, you know, people corresponding and and, and reading and uh, and reacting to it from other countries, from ranging from Poland to Yugoslavia or Australia or uh, the United States, of course. And and were these writings that were being made by uh, Europeans, were they writing in their own native language or were they also writing in English? Well, for Chaos International, it was everything was in English, of okay. course. Now, the, the, the then-time editor, uh, he, uh, he speaks and writes German. So, uh, but I'm not sure. I, I, I wasn't part of the, the editor's uh, panel, so uh, I, I can't see. really vouch for right. <laughs> how many manuscripts arrived in German and were translated. I don't think it, it was a lot. I, for myself, for example, when I did contribute to Chaos International, I would write in, uh, in English. Even though, in, in general, I would uh, publish my stuff in German, but uh, for Chaos International and some other uh, minor, you know, occult magazines and stuff, uh, I would uh, write my stuff in English. And uh, were there also fanzines being made by Europeans, or was this more of a, an American and British uh, endeavor? No, uh, we uh, actually, when I set up the bookshop in 79 with my partners, uh, one friend of ours who became a member of the uh, the uh, Experimental Magic uh, Working Group, he actually set up his own uh, magazine with our help, uh, uh, Unicorn, which was a German magazine, which uh, it was quarterly and... Uh, uh, it went on for 13 issues, so uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't such a short-lived uh, uh, attempt, and uh, it was actually quite well distributed. Again, I think uh, the maximum number of copies ever printed was, I think, 2,000, but generally it was more like 1,000, with about 800 or so being sold. 
and uh, that was an old German uh, or old German language uh, uh, mag. Uh, there were others as well, uh, some short, short-lived, some more stable, like Thelema from Berlin, which had ten issues, and uh, uh, so that no, it it, it it wasn't only an American uh, phenomenon. That's that's certainly or Amer- or British for that matter. Though there were more. More mags of that kind in uh, in uh, the UK than there were in Germany or Switzerland and Austria. And did you notice that the opinions differed uh, between the the, the English speaking uh, audience and the and the German, uh, mostly German speaking audience, and how um, how Chaos Magic was viewed and understood? Uh, no, not. No, not really. Not really. I think there was quite. Uh, it was quite a uh, a coming thing. People uh, really latched onto it very fast. I mean, those who did, and I'm not. I'm not talking about those who who uh, hated the guts of it. Uh, but when we didn't have a lot of contact with them, there wasn't a lot of conflict either. It was. Uh, I wouldn't say an inside affair, but it was. It was fairly huge, and uh, and. Uh, Chaos Magic being pretty undogmatic, at least initially, um, there was a lot of leeway for varying opinions and, and approaches, and uh, uh, so uh, and there was no, uh, no, at least initially, again, uh, there were no real conflicts about, you know, right. you might say ideological matters hmm. or or even technical matters, uh, um, as far as Chaos Magic was concerned. Understood. Uh, another question I have for you. Uh, this was a little bit more, I guess, of a, on a philosophical uh, bent. Uh, Theodore Adorno is someone whose work I read during the course <laughs> of my studies in Western esotericism. And uh, one of the pieces that we had to read was his thesis against occultism, and in which he s- stated that magic is irrational and therefore dangerous. Uh, and that the interest in occultism is a sign of regression of consciousness. Now, I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are about this type of attitude. And and if, as well, if you see this attitude persisting uh, t- into the present day in the mainstream. Short and sweet, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> and uh, uh, Adorno is a very special case in very, very many respects. Let's not get into that. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, coming coming from a German perspective, of course, I have I have my views on that, uh, even from a leftist perspective. And um, uh, it's, as they say on uh, Facebook status reports, it's complicated. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, rega- regarding that issue, that that magic is irrational. I mean, that's something even Alistair Crowley. Addressed very strongly at the turn of the century. Hell, I mean, Adorno wasn't exactly novel in that in that approach, and uh, and yes, it still persists within the so-called rationalist crowd. Yeah. And uh, though it is losing a bit of its uh, of its uh, acumen, in my view, because uh, let's say esotericism in the wider sense has become a lot more mainstream in the past, let's say, 40, 50 years. And so people aren't, you know, as uh, as uh, peevish about it as uh, some of them or most of them used to be, especially the media. I mean, uh, let's face it, we get about 90% of our information on the world we get from media. So, uh, so how am I supposed to know how 
uh, whatever uh, some some American or Australian philosopher views occultism these days, except if I read some article about it or maybe some papers of his or hers. And um, so, uh, but in general, my view is that it's that yes, uh, esotericism has become a bit more acceptable, and so has magic to some extent. In the 70s, esotericism, and in the 80s especially, esotericism was on the uprise too, but uh, but within esotericism, there was a very strong, uh, you know, feeling that magic wasn't the thing to go for, you know, uh, people warning you of karmic consequences or, or uh, saying that magic was always the same as so-called black magic or destructive magic and stuff like that. Uh, we had to deal with that a lot more than we had with rationalists because those were really worlds apart. The rationalists, like Adorno, uh, thought they knew everything about it and, and uh, they discarded it and, uh, and we discarded them or simply ignored them and uh, went for the fun of it instead. I see. Bernd Christian Otto's article, The Illuminates of Thanateros and the Institutionalization of Religious Individualization, to which you yep. have contributed, yep. uh, Bernd uh, talks about how, quote, the mind and particularly the conscious self has to be looked upon differently than has uh, been done thus far in the history of Western learned magic and that the practitioner much, must engage in ecstatic activities in order to provide gnosis, end uh, quotes. And this is in reference to chaos magic in particular. And I find this interesting. I, I just recently did a, an interview with a scholar about uh, Gnosticism, and we were talking a lot about a, the, the, the definition of gnosis and uh, mm. and the like. And of course, that, that term gnosis has different meanings for different people. Uh, but here it is used to mean, in the article, as it is quoted, single-pointed concentration, as is equated with samadhi or pure consciousness. And do you agree with this explanation? And if not, how, how would you uh, define gnosis? Uh, to uh, understand the usage of the term gnosis within chaos magic, you'd have to uh, be aware of the fact... I mean, this comes actually from Peter Carroll's Liber Null, where okay. he uh, first introduced the concept uh, of calling these altered states of consciousness, as they were generally uh, uh, termed, uh, to, to, to shorten this to gnosis. Now, part of this approach is, of course, the iconoclastic drive behind... Uh, chaos magic in general. So it was a bit provocative uh, in in one sense. In the other sense, uh, gnosis being, uh, well, you might call, okay, so lots of people will say salvific knowledge, whatever that means, but uh, let's let's leave the salvation aspect uh, aside, which of course uh, is ahistoric to do, but uh, uh, it, it actually uh, means uh, or is, in, is understood to mean um, states of consciousness that are not common everyday states uh, and that may or may not impact uh, what's happening or what will happen in the world. 
So uh, I wouldn't agree with the term samadhi, but that's maybe because of my own personal uh, yoga history and bias, because samadhi uh, uh, in uh, within yoga speak uh, defines a certain, a, a very precise kind of uh, of uh, well consciousness, or actually dissolve dissolution mm. of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not that's not really intended by the term gnosis in in uh, in um, chaos magic. Uh, in Liber Null, Peter Carroll says that, uh, you know, there's basically two, to- two ways of knowledge. There's excitatory knowledge, and then there's the, the, the kind of dampening knowledge, you know, which, uh, where you, you either set the mind still or you uh, excite it, you know, by overstimulation. And both forms of noses are, are usable uh, or deployable for uh, magical purposes. And that's basically the end of it. Uh, there's this there's little, little, Little more behind it, so there's no uh, no transcendental. Uh, I'm, that's important, maybe. Uh, there's no transcendental aspects to it, like in samadhi, where you have. Well, I mean, samadhi and mahasamadhi, or or nibbana or nirvana in Buddhism, and and uh, uh, but the, the whole point is that the uh, everyday consciousness is regarded as an impediment to uh, actually effecting uh, uh, magic. Uh, which is why it has to be uh, basically either overcome or set aside or uh, uh, even paralyzed for a time. Well, thank you for making that distinction, because uh, I also had a little bit of uh, confusion when I was reading the text in the article about uh, samadhi, because I also understood it to mean something a little bit different than just the mm-hmm. single-pointed con- uh, concentration. So thank you for expanding on that and and explaining that a little bit more. Uh, in part one with Christian Greer, he noted the importance of shamanism to chaos magic and how this term can also be used to mean different things for different groups. Uh, would you talk about your own viewpoints regarding shamanism and perhaps also how you have used those ideas in your own practice? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, in terms of chaos magic, uh, there was one popular term at the time. It was called, uh, it was uh, freestyle shamanism. So, uh, basically, uh, again, uh, chaos magic being iconoclastic as it was initially and uh, trying to be reductionist as well. You might even say it was structuralist in its approach. Um, try to, you know, boil down everything uh, in the, within... Western and to part Eastern magical traditions uh, to its essence, and that's basically what Michael Harner did, for example, in terms of shamanism when he uh, he presented the shamanism, which was you might say shamanism redux. Uh, I knew uh, Michael Harner. Well, I wouldn't say fairly well, but yeah, we were f- quite familiar because I, I uh, uh, acted as an interpreter for his uh, Swiss workshops for a couple of years and uh, did an interview with him for for uh, Unicorn magazine and uh, had a lot of private discussions with him on the matter as well. And um, that informed my own practice to some extent as well, as did some other shamans like uh, Don Eduardo Calderon Palomino from from Peru or Alberto Violdo at the time, um, whom I happened to interpret as well on seminars. That's how I got to know them. And um, uh, the essence being uh, not so much the the shamans, uh, well, I mean, 
Okay, you, you know, that's a loaded question as well. I mean, yeah. what is shamanism, really, in an ac- academic sense? I mean, uh, have you got 30 years? <laughs> right, <Okay>. right. <laughs> uh, but the point, I mean, what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, this this tip classical, which Hana also introduced or proposed uh, or propagated this uh, this view of, you know, underworld, uh, middle world, upper world, uh, and, and stuff like that. That didn't feature too much uh, within Chaos Magic, but um, but the, the, the concept of trance or noses, which is essentially the same thing, different terms. Uh, and um, the approach that you don't actually need a, any, you know, a learned or a complex um, uh, ideologized uh, transcendental concept of uh, of uh, the world as such you know with uh, gods and demons and and the humans and animals and the plant kingdom and uh, you know that that kind of hierarchy uh, was it wasn't you could you could say it was rejected by chaos magic in in the sense that uh, uh, and that's actually what drove me to, to chaos magic as well for a while because uh, before I have ever read live and null, uh, I had to come up with a concept of uh, what I termed pragmatic magic. Now, I didn't invent pragmatic magic. I invented the term, or right, maybe, but uh, pragmatic magic as opposed to dogmatic magic. This was a reaction, basically a, an anglicized uh, reaction towards German occultism with all its uh, dogmatic uh, tenets. Uh, pragmatic magic saying, well, if it works, use it. And uh, don't don't uh, don't care about whether this is this is the right ideology or philosophy or transcendental uh, uh, worldview, and that's basically the same approach of chaos magic, uh, to the extent that uh, that you'll have uh, you know tenets like uh, fake it till you make it, which is a very chaos magical approach, but it's not exactly traditional in Western the Western occult sense. So uh, that that's why within Chaos Magic to this day you'll find people actually doing invocations of uh, Marvel superheroes, or uh, or invented uh, invented entities, you know, like from the Lovecraftian uh, mm. cosmos and and stuff. Fully fully aware that these are fictional characters, but. Uh, but basically using them for uh, for magical purposes, for invocation or evocation or uh, or, or whatever. Uh, basically, it's 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 uh, very much a uh, well, you might say, a postmodern game on reality or views of reality. And that, of course, is a break with uh, with the previous uh, conventional tradition within the Western context. And uh, the Eastern as well, to a large extent. E- extent, even though what a lot of people don't realize that chaos magic, in its essence, is actually Buddhist. Interesting. Could you expand on that? Yeah. Well, uh, Buddhist, I would say, in the Vajrayana sense of the word, in in that uh, the Tibetan view of personality, like you you'll find in the in the Bardos and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and so on, uh, that is actually being adopted. Uh, in it, let's say, you know, there is no such thing as a soul. That's the anatta principle of Buddhism in general. 
I mean, it's, it's like good. You've actually said that before, didn't he? Uh, we don't have a soul. If you want a, if you want a bloody soul, you have to work for it, for for it. You know, mm. build it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that is essentially Buddhist uh, Buddhist take as well. It's certainly not Christian. It's certainly not Greek or pagan uh, Greek uh, uh, or uh, Roman. And and that is uh, that is actually a, a, a very Buddhist concept. That uh, that the personality is actually an, a, an illusionary concept. Mm. There is no such thing as as an essence uh, of of your personality, uh, which of course, on the other hand, means that you can create any anything you like and be it, or you can be anybody or anything, uh, and you can switch it uh, at a moment's notice. And that is actually what chaos magical practice is uh, is all about. Like using a dice, you know, uh, pass a. Uh, uh, the Dice Man uh, novel, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, using a dice to decide on what to believe for the next week. Mm. You know, being a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist or, or whatever, and uh, and actually doing that fully for that week or whatever you specify in advance, and then switching back or switching to some other uh, other approach. This is based on also Norman Spears' belief that uh, that beliefs are just uh, tools, instruments. So or like Ramsey, Ramsey Dukes put it once, that a magician will choose his beliefs uh, like a surgeon will cho- choose his instruments, his or hers, I mean, whatever. Right, I see. And is that then uh, an exercise for the magician to uh, learn about different possibilities, different aspects of the person of the and I, I'm, I don't know if I'm using the right terms but if there's no personality is then there a self no not in no. chaos magic there isn't but uh, of course there's something which you tend to ascribe to a self that's your socialization that's uh, that's your genes that's how you were brought up uh, that's how you were educated that's your life experience and stuff like that Basically, just the same as in Buddhism. Well, they say, well, yeah, but this is, you know, in in uh, in what they call Hinduism, which of course, as we know, is a colonial term, and and uh, and it's very problematic, even though it's very used very much a lot in in India these days uh, still. But uh, let's say Vedic uh, religions and uh, philosophies, uh, you'll have the Atman concept. And of course, Buddha's revolution, or what's, what they t- later on turned the Buddhist revolution, was this ni, uh, this ni atman or anatta in, in in Pali, saying there is no such thing as an atman, there is no such thing as a as a soul. And if you take reincarnation, which Buddhists usually adopt as a view, then it's not the atman which is reincarnated; it's your karma. Right. And uh, that's oh, that's yeah. an enti- that's an entirely different story from from mm. from the uh, Christian or might you might say Greek um, concept of a soul, which is a kind of your your eternal essence, which you actually have in antique uh, Gnosticism as well as a concept. You know this divine mm. spark. Right, uh, right. This this is an essentialist view of things, and uh, that's certainly not the chaos magical one. So would it be more in line with a idea of an avatar? 
yes, uh, in a way you could cut. Well, Avatar, of course, comes from the Hindu concept of uh, you know reincarnations of gods or deities, and uh, but uh, these days, as used in social media and in gaming on gaming platforms and uh, yes. and within the internet uh, uh, ecology, uh, an avatar being uh, you know a view or. A, a, could be an icon or an image or or even a personality you choose to be, be it temporarily or within a certain specific context or content. Uh, uh, like on this this uh, social media platform, you might be Avatar A, and the other platform you might be Avatar B, and they might actually be contradictory. You might be male on the one and female, or pretend to be, or assumed to be male on the one and uh, female on the other or diverse on the third and whatever. Uh, in that sense, yes, uh, uh, the, the, the term avatar is, uh, is probably pretty, uh, pretty precise. And I kind of got off track with my original question about the, 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 the whole point of the exercise of taking a different uh, approach yeah. for, for each day. Uh, is, is that, um, I guess, just to be very, very simply uh, asking, is that supposed to teach the magician something about magic or about them? The, their yes, yes, uh, it's it's supposed to teach the uh, the magician uh, that uh, this may sound trite, but that it depends. It depends on 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 whatever uh, whatever uh, tenets and uh, assumptions and. Uh, uh, Specific forms of action and uh, of belief uh, you adopt, and uh, of course, if you do this as an exercise, like say you 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 choose to use your dice and 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 you find that for the next three months you're gonna roll a dice every week to decide what to believe the following week. Uh, this will only work if you're actually fairly informed on what you're supposed to believe. Like if you, like, so right? I mean, if I, if I say, okay, I'll be a ta- Taoist uh, next week, and I don't know squat about Taoism, then uh, it might be a good idea to actually investigate Taoism before right. I do that, right? Right, right. And uh, it may still remain pretty superficial, and anyone who is actually reared in Taoism will... Uh, Will scream bloody murder because uh, because this is just a very superficial uh, kind of approach. True, uh, but that depends on the individual. Uh, some might dig deeper into it, and some others won't. And and I said, and as I said, uh, one week, yeah, you might decide to uh, to uh, roll the dice and de- decide on what to believe for the next coming year, not a week or a month or three years or even your lifetime. So uh, that really that. Okay, as I said, party uh, Luke Reinhardt's the Dice Man. Uh, that's where it comes from initially. This idea, uh, like the uh, chaos, uh, chaos sphere, comes from Michael Moorcock's uh, fantasy novels and, uh, and stuff like that. And that is actually very typical of chaos magic, as it is of modern magic in general. It's very, very eclectic. Right. I'm remembering the phrase: "Nothing is true; everything is permitted." Yeah. Um, so that seems to be Robert Anton Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yes, and and uh, so so it uh, and the, the point, the whole point being, is actually for the magician to realize that he or she is not a set, fixed, essentialist entity, 
but that uh, not, not not in a nihilist way in, in terms of well all is gloom and doom now but uh, but in the sense that, that this actually enables you to be anybody and anything as I said before and uh, that this actually liberates you rather than uh, than uh, pulling the rug away under your feet and uh, you know falling on your bum and then not knowing what to do next uh, uh, with the world as is. Thank you for for uh, talking about all of that. That 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 brings a very different um yeah, different way of looking at it. It's I mean, we talk about it on the on the academic level of uh, the the pragmatic side of things, but it's interesting to hear uh, an actual practitioner's uh, <laughs> way of, of of approaching it and looking at it. So thank you for for sharing that. You have been quite prolific in in your own writing about magic, and mostly in German, uh, as you said. But you do write in English. Uh, what would you recommend uh, people read if they're interested uh, to to know more about chaos magic of, of your own writings? And where can they find that in in English if they don't speak or write or read German? I I I wouldn't. Uh, I have never ri- written a uh, set book on chaos magic. There's some articles, but those are you can find some of them on the internet and uh, others, well, in in some you know as as you call them, fanzines or or magical magazines or whatever. Uh, but still, in view uh, in in terms of uh, looking at a. I'm not certainly not comprehensive, but uh, but a, a varied view on uh, on magic in practice and uh, and uh, on magic uh, as you know as practiced by living people. Uh, I would actually recommend uh, my second latest book, which is a collaborative uh, effort, uh, Living Magic, which is uh, was published by Llewellyn's in English. It was initially published in German. I translated it into English. And um, this was uh, written by four authors, myself included, uh, all of whom were members of that one workshop for experimental magic. One of them is, uh, has passed away now, uh, Josef Knecht. But uh, the point being that uh, these are different essays uh, addressing magic from com- entirely different biographical and practical angles. Uh, so it's not just chaos magic, certainly not. I mean, like uh, one co-author like Harry Einstein, he's never been a chaos magician in his, uh, in his life. Um, but uh, but that but 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 he's a modern and he's a living magician and and uh, and a, a very prolific one at that and uh, and uh, I'd say that uh, gives a pretty good insight into uh, as it's a fairly recent book it was uh, written two two and a half years ago and um, it's it's not a how to book so it doesn't you know give on at least not a lot I mean there's there's some some stuff in there. With practical, you know, uh, um, uh, explanations and recommendations uh, on how to go about some some things. Uh, one aspect there, uh, my my own models of magic, uh, is explained there in a, in a practical uh, manner as well. And that is actually a fairly uh, chaos magical approach. You know, like uh, uh, viewing uh, things from different angles. Like uh, if you adopt the spirit approach, uh, then you will work with uh, invoke, invoke or evoke spirits and so on. If you use a psychological approach, you'll be using 
using something like sigil magic, maybe or uh, or affirmations and uh, suggestions. Uh, uh, if you uh, use the energy approach, uh, you'll be working with uh, you know prana or chi or whatever. So uh, uh, these are different uh, different models of magic, and basically uh, there's a meta meta model which says that's a pragmatic approach again. Always use them that model which you find or, th- or suspect will be the most effective in any given situation. Right. I I did read uh, your models of magic to prepare a little bit uh, ahead of time, and I found that to be very informative. Uh, and I liked the way you you broke it down into different models, <laughs> and that's well, why thank, you thank call you it that. that. <laughs> Thank you for that, and, and it's actually been my my most plagiarized piece. I mean, oh. lots, of, lots, lots of lots of people have have, uh, have uh, adopt, adopted this approach, uh, with usually without giving credit. But never mind; it's not. <laughs> I'm not talking about this as as a victim of uh, of uh, pirate copies or stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's been fairly influential. Yes, from a pragmatic point of view, I think it's to this day. Uh, I think it's uh, it's fairly useful. Uh, yes, I would agree. I will be certain to uh, uh, include uh, links to that uh, text in uh, in my program notes. I just wanted to ask you again: What was the name of the book that you collaborated on that you were living? Uh, the full the, the full title is uh, "Living Magic: Contemporary Insights and Experiences from Practicing Magicians." Okay. And it, the authors, as I said, it's a collaborative uh, uh, effort. It's four authors. Uh, it says Frater UD, uh, so that's yours truly, and Axel Budenbender, Harry Einstein, and Josef Knecht. <clears throat> but you can find it on the Living Magic. It uh, was published by Llewellyn's. Llewellyn, okay. And, I'll, uh, I'll include that too. Yeah. In the in the program notes, so uh, people uh, can uh, can. Search for that if they are so inclined, and, and it's available as an ebook as well, which uh, okay. has to be said these days. Of course, there's lots of people prefer it on Kindle or whatever ebook reader right. they may uh, fancy. Okay, do you have a social media or a website that people can visit? And are you open Not- to people contacting you with questions? I don't have a have a have a website focusing on uh, on magic. Uh, people can contact me on uh, Facebook. Uh, my Facebook. Uh, I don't have a page on Facebook, but my Facebook uh, stream is a mix uh, uh, of uh, partially occult topics, partially other stuff, political as well. Uh, I'm still uh, involved to a little extent in the search engine optimization industry. So my uh, my stream actually reflects that a bit, but uh, and if people uh, have uh, have questions or so, they're they're free to contact me on on Facebook. Uh, you can find me under the name Phantom Master on uh, Facebook or Ralph Techmeyer. Phantom okay. Master, that's F A N T O and Master in right. one word. Okay, wonderful. I will include that information as well. So if anyone. Uh, is uh, is wondering about something and would like to ask you uh, some questions, then they can uh, find you on Facebook. All I beg for is a bit of patience because <laughs> uh, I have a lot to do, lot on my hands and uh, 
uh, plus a, a daytime job, and right. uh, so uh, it may take take a while until I actually respond. Understood, understood. Well, Ralph, I am very appreciative to have had uh, this discussion with you uh, about the topic of magic and chaos magic, and I hope the listeners find it interesting too to hear perspectives and experiences that uh, expand our understanding on these topics. So thank you so much for sharing these very interesting viewpoints with me today. Well, I thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun and anytime again. Wonderful. My thanks again to Ralph for making time to talk with me. I hope you found this discussion an interesting one. I personally found the discussion with Ralph very useful as he provided insights that I as an academic outsider would not necessarily know about. In my opinion, this is a great thing as it makes for a much more complete picture of the topics that I'd like to bring to you. This was on the shorter side, but if you're interested in more in-depth or specific discussions about particular topics, let me know, as I'm happy to ask Ralph back if there is enough interest. Also, I am open to talking with other contemporary magicians who would like to add their own perspectives to the conversation. I'd like to add a little clarification uh, here as well. Uh, While I am aware that there might be personal disagreements between uh, practitioners or tensions between people involved in the chaos magic community or the larger uh, magic community in general, it is only my intention to engage in respectful discussions on this platform, and I appreciate everyone's goodwill in this matter. Please check out the program notes for a selected bibliography that Ralph was so kind to provide, plus some links to some academic articles and some online reference materials. I hope everyone is having a good summer so far. I'm in a slower mode at the moment, but I do have some things in the works that I hope to present to you soon. That's it for now. Wishing everyone well, and as always, thanks for listening. (music) 